They were all mad at Joe Biden for saying that the MAGA party was quasi-fascist. But if the, the shoe quasi-fits, then you quasi-wear it, you know? <laughs> Welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with Congressman Jamie Raskin for Maryland's 8th District, member of the House Judiciary, Oversight, and House Administration Committee, and Democratic member of the House Select Committee for the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol, which recently resumed with its ninth and possibly last public hearing. The hearing on October 13th felt like a wrap-up the culmination of a year of diligent hard work to figure out using witnesses and testimony, evidence found and subpoenaed, and the meticulous analysis of millions of pages of documents to discover what happened that day, what led to the violence, and who or whom is to blame. The committee was clear from the beginning that they are not a court of law, that their job has always been to lay out a picture so the American people could better understand and then make recommendations to Congress to avoid something as detrimental to our safety and democracy from ever happening again. If there is to be any criminal accountability, that belongs squarely in the purview of the Department of Justice. The committee is part of the legislative branch of the government, so while they can make recommendations, the DOJ is not required to take them up. I am having Representative Raskin on the pod today to discuss where we go from here. Now that we know that a sitting president and his enablers engaged in a multi-strategy calculated attempt to stay in power against the will of the people, and that this bid at a self-coup was supported by people from the lowest of the low, like white supremacist militant groups, to the very highest of society, including government officials and law enforcement. What do we do about that? What do we do with the people who still believe the purposeful lie that the election was stolen? Or worse, the Republican representatives who could win massive power and usurp democracy running on that lie? What do we do with the anger and unrest that allowed Trump to turn American citizens into a mob that attacked their own capital? And what do we do with the simmering fury that still prevails in a society filled with lies and propaganda? Trump continues to promote the big lie to this day, knowing full well he didn't win and people in power continue to support him, knowing the same. As writer David Rothkopf says, it is one of the most extraordinary betrayals of public trust in U.S. history, one of the most outrageous crimes ever perpetrated against the country, and what's more, the criminals behind it remain an ongoing threat. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, member for the House Select Committee on January 6th, one of my favorite members of Congress and champion for democracy and decency, Congressman Jamie Raskin. Welcome, Jamie. Well, you're very kind. I'm delighted to be with you. Oh, you know what? Thank you for joining me. I am absolutely thrilled to be talking to you. I'm not just saying you're one of my favorite members of Congress. You really are. I have admired you since you led the second impeachment trial and fought to protect our democracy and our country while you were still struggling with your own personal loss. You really, truly inspire me and your belief in what America should stand for and your inability to pretend that everything is normal deeply resonates with me. So I feel incredibly grateful to have a representative like you standing up for us in Congress. 
Well, I'm glad that you're out there injecting uh, truth and optimism into the American bloodstream. So good for you. Oh, she's trying. She's trying. Okay, so we won't fangirl anymore. We'll just move on to why you're here. Um, I'm just going to run through it a little quickly just in case so people can be on the same page as us. So we just had possibly the last public hearing from the 1-6 committee, which laid out a clear and detailed picture of what happened between the 2020 election and the horrible events of January 6th. The evidence you presented left absolutely no doubt that what occurred was a calculated multi-pronged attack on our democracy in order to nullify the results of the election and prevent the peaceful transfer of power. This effort involved months of planning, beginning before the election with the decision to declare victory regardless of the results, an effort to place public officials in sensitive government roles to support Trump's attempts to abuse democracy, the strong arming of state officials to stop counting votes, to find votes, to not certify the election, to change the electors, the pressure campaign to get the DOJ to say there was corruption when there wasn't, the attempt to install a new AG who would force the DOJ to do what Trump wanted, the pressuring of the vice president to reject electors, the conspiracy with congressional members to object to the certification of the election, and the perpetuation of the ongoing lie that the election was stolen, which was not only a grift to line Trump's pockets, but to deliberately sow distrust in democracy itself. So the whole thing, I have to tell you, made me physically sick. And watching your committee wrap it up last week and hearing it all laid out like that actually broke my heart. So where do we go from here, knowing what we know now? Well, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, in a political sense, um, we need to uh, get democracy and voting rights moving again in a big way. In a cultural sense, we probably need a little humor uh, and a little comedy to leaven what we've just seen. I mean, uh, like you think about the 11,780 votes that Trump wanted lifelong Republican Brad Raffensperger to find him in Georgia. What were they going to do with that? They were just going to show up with 11,780 votes and say, oh, Donald Trump won by one vote. And everybody would say, well, wait a second, uh, where are those votes from? Oh, you know, well, we just found them. We found a big box of them. And what was the margin in that box? 11,780 to zero. Oh, okay, bring that in. Uh, you know, Donald Trump just won Georgia by one vote. I mean, the whole thing is absurd in addition to being a, a naked assault on democracy in America. And I think it's time for the forces of the big majority in America to start ridiculing um, these people who really did try to knock over our government, but there's cl a clownish aspect to it. I, you know, I, I called the three people who Trump pardoned, who then went out and tried to organize the domestic violent extremist groups, uh, Michael Flynn, Roger Stone and Steve Bannon, the Flintstones. And I mentioned that when I was on the Colbert show and he did a really funny little okay. Flintstones skit with those guys. Jamie, it was brilliant. <laughs> I posted it on Twitter. It was hilariously funny. Yeah, they just did a great job. So, I, you know, the, the comedians like you guys need to step forward. The funny people need to step forward and lampoon uh, this nonsense because we have felt the tragedy of it. We've experienced it uh, as an assault on democracy, but we also have to see the absurdist and ridiculous elements of what they've done. I mean, you watch the whole thing and you can't understand how this is possibly happening. It seems so completely insane, right? That <laughs> yeah. everyone involved with this quite obviously corrupt traitor could be this intentional and premeditated, but also really bad at their job. I mean, truly, 
no gift there. We are lucky that the people that were involved were so inept. You know, I think a lot about what Tocqueville said in Democracy in America, where he said that democracy and voting rights are either shrinking and subsiding or they're growing and expanding. And we've got to get democracy back on the growth track. And I, I like Joe Biden's speech about democracy a lot, except that he didn't communicate that sense that democracy has got to be moving. We're not defending a static thing. Uh, we're defending a process that's in motion in addition to our electoral institutions. So we've got you know, 713,000 taxpaying draftable U.S. citizens in Washington, D.C., who are the only residents of a national capital on planet Earth who are not represented in their own government. Um, and it's time for D.C. statehood. And it's time for three and a half million Americans living in Puerto Rico to have their statehood. And, you know, it's time for a constitutional amendment on the right to vote. Let's get democracy moving again. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to look at it because your committee was really clear that the investigation wasn't about party or politics. It was about facts, right? And part of the facts is that democracy has to continue to evolve to protect itself, clearly, to make sure our country continues to function under a rule of law because we came incredibly close to ending constitutional government in America. And quite frankly, if we don't make changes, it could happen again. So people need to get that democracy moving. Now, the last hearing clearly focused on Donald Trump as the linchpin of all of this. The committee made this airtight case that he was at the center of everything. It was his will, his desire, his power that pushed the lies and ultimately the violence. But my big concern, aside from everyone getting away with everything and democracy just kind of slipping through our fingers, is that Trump becomes the scapegoat while the rest of the anti-democratic forces that have supported him continue the work. Because we both know that Trump's was not the brains behind this operation, right? He is simply a symptom of a far bigger problem, which is that at the end of the day, the majority of the Republican Party seems willing to trade democracy for retained power. Well, the, uh, all of that is right. I mean, we start with the uh, assumption, which is now a proven conclusion, that none of this would have happened without Donald Trump. If he had accepted the election results the way that Gore, for example, accepted the results in 2000, we wouldn't have seen any of it. The attempt to overthrow the election, the legislatures, the counterfeit elector scheme, the shakedown of election officials like Raffensperger, or the plot against Mike Pence, much less the violent insurrection. Remember that the original date for the rally was January 21st, and Donald Trump was the one who moved it up to January 6th because he knew exactly what he had in mind. All right. So I think we've established that. But your point is right. He was obviously drawing on significant political elements within the GOP and within the American right wing that are very much still out there. So what is the struggle we're in? Well, we've got the big majority of the American people who are on the side of constitutional democracy, who are opposed to coups, insurrections, electoral sabotage, political violence, who are opposed to the Supreme Court stealing away the constitutional rights and freedoms of the people, like women's right to choose. That's where the majority is. But what we're up against is a determined minority, a shrinking political minority in the country that's using every anti-democratic lever of power that there is voter suppression statutes in the states, gerrymandering of our state and federal districts, manipulation of the filibuster, which is not in the Constitution, which is not in federal law. It's just a rule of the Senate already riddled with more than 100 exceptions. So we need some more exceptions for voting rights, for gun safety, for reproductive freedom. 
the manipulation of the electoral college. I mean, we're in the 21st century. Isn't it time we elected the president the way we elect governors, senators, mayors, representatives, whoever gets the most votes wins and not this convoluted, arcane, antiquated, obsolete system hung over from the 18th century when there was no universal right of the people to vote and when there was no transportation or communication system that would allow for a nationwide election at the same time. So it's this bizarre you know, curvy stage process. And now you've got strategic bad faith actors like Donald Trump who use every moment in the process to try to reverse the actual result of the election. So, you know, I, I'm with John Dewey who said that the only solution to the ills of democracy is more democracy. And what we're suffering from today is not democracy. It's all of these impediments to it. Honestly, and that comes back to the this idea of accountability, like just stopping Trump won't stop this anti-democratic movement. So clearly without some sort of far reaching and sweeping accountability, it doesn't stop. Now, the committee implied you would be recommending criminal charges for some people, but whether you do or you don't is ultimately irrelevant because the decision to charge or try someone for a federal crime comes down to the Justice Department if they have the evidence or if they have the will to do anything. The committee itself was simply there to lay out the facts and make recommendations for the future. And clearly your recommendations have a lot to do with how we can better shore up our democracy. That's correct. I mean, it's it's up to the executive branch, the Department of Justice. I mean, one of the things that Donald, one of the many things that Donald Trump confused the country about is uh, the president's proper role in criminal prosecution and Congress's proper role. It's not the role of the political branches to be dictating to the Department of Justice what crimes have been committed. It can send over evidence and facts that it has, but it's up to the Department of Justice to make that assessment uh, whether or not to bring prosecutions. And Donald Trump was constantly calling up William Barr or uh, another of his attorney generals to say, prosecute this person, leave this person alone, and so on. I mean, that's his vision of what government is. He doesn't have the most rudimentary understanding of how uh, American democratic constitutionalism works. So in any event, there clearly were lots of crimes committed. Uh, more than uh, 900 of them have already been prosecuted and charged. There are people pleading guilty to seditious conspiracy, conspiracy to overthrow or put down the government of the United States. So there's, uh, there's a trial taking place of some of the Oath Keepers now. One of the Oath Keepers turned state's evidence and has been testifying about how all of this was leading to treason. He said it was going to be the Trump forces fighting against the Biden forces as opposed to a peaceful transfer of power, which we've been obviously perfecting for more than two centuries. And they wanted to destroy the whole thing. The people that were out there, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, all these people that were out there on the day of the Capitol, they're different than the, you know, the people who are still in government, right? The people who worked for Trump, the lawyers that worked for Trump, all the people you had as witnesses, you know, how many people watched Trump stand between the American flag and the flag of the president blatantly lying to the American people and didn't say anything until they were subpoenaed by you or wrote a book? How many people in this administration knew the truth, who had even tried to convince Trump of the truth themselves, but not only let it carry on, but perpetuated it to their own benefit? You know, we see the, the lie continuing to this day. There's people running for office all over the country that are saying that 
the president is still not the actual president. And that is a terrifying perspective for our country to be in right now, where we live in two completely different realities. You can watch what you guys did and say, oh yeah, well, here's a perfectly laid out case with all of these facts and all of this evidence. And then you have people who are in high levels of government who are still pushing the lie. Well, um, it's active disinformation um, and propaganda. Uh, and Donald Trump has succeeded in taking... Lincoln's party, which was an anti-slavery, anti-racist party, as far as you could go in those days, you know, a pro-immigrant party against the know-nothings, and they've turned it into essentially a, a cult of authoritarian personality, where everybody just follows whatever the leader tells them to think and do. And, you know, even for those who are not in that cult, but who sat there and did nothing, you know, wh what do you say? Well, you know, in Dante's Inferno, there's a special place in hell reserved for people who see the truth and don't act. <laughs> what level is that? I would like a couple people there. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. Um, well, yeah. I will say that what the story that you told, the story that the committee told using facts and timelines and really specific witnesses seem to have made it almost impossible for the DOJ not to seek charges because you laid out such a clear case that in my opinion, it would end up seeming negligent of them to ignore all the evidence in front of them. So I think people can feel hopeful about that. I have a lot of faith in the Department of Justice. I have a lot of faith in Merrick Garland. I know a lot of people would like to see results immediately, but I think even laying out what you guys have laid out, they have all of their own information that we don't see and nor should we see because that's not how justice works. But I think that we've seen enough that we can expect some real results moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of faith in Merrick Garland, too, because he's my constituent and I have faith in my constituents. And I know him <laughs> to be a very serious, very lawyer. supportive, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, he well, everybody was on his case for a long time, you may recall. And I said, just let him do his job. But that's our job. Let him do his job. But look, uh, he's a very serious lawyer, obviously a very serious judge who was nominated to the Supreme Court by President Obama. 11 months before the election. And Mitch McConnell said that that was too close to the election. And so blocked any hearings, any Judiciary Committee hearings of Merrick Garland on the grounds that the people need to speak. Well, of course, the people had spoken in Obama's election and their our president nominated him, but they blocked it. And then, you know, four years later, um, when we lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg, just a couple months before the election, they nominated uh, Mrs. Waterford uh, to go on the court. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, they, they had her hearings when voting had already started in a bunch of Yeah, states. six days, six days before that election, technically, but yeah. voting had already started. <laughs> we got basically a giant campaign ad from the White House just waving Evita style with Trump. Right. So yeah, the, uh, the Supreme Court's uh, legitimacy is in the gutter right now. That's something we're going to have to examined very carefully to figure out what to do about it. They have returned to the historic baseline of the Supreme Court, which is um, one of political white supremacy and corporate power and trampling the rights and freedoms of the people. You know, there's that brief period of the war in court with decisions like Brown versus Board and the white primary cases and Miranda versus Arizona, Roe versus Wade, but all within a few decades. But for the rest of its history, the Supreme Court's been a profoundly reactionary conservative institution, and the right wing has captured it again. I was saying recently that this court seems more like the Dred Scott court than the Loving court. 
And that is unsustainable for a modern American society. I mean, ultimately, institutions only hold if enough people choose to hold them, right? And the Supreme Court is part of that. Americans need to remember we're not promised democracy. It's something we have to fight for and constantly work for. Okay. Right now, that's the, the doctrine. Ameri You've got it. You've got it. Yeah. Uh, and right now, the, Re the Republican Party is actively fighting against the institutions that would uphold democracy. You know, I, I always say that they've lost the majority will of the people. So democracy no longer really works for them. Right. So they're seeming to want to burn it all down in order to retain power to create a society that looks and behaves the way they think it should look and behave. And they have no problem making a deal with the devil, be that Trump or whoever comes after Trump, because it'll be worth it for the America they want, right, to make America great again, which takes us back to some time before civil rights, before women's rights, before even probably the New Deal, yeah. where robber barons kind of ran the world. And if you owned a huge company, you could treat your workers however you wanted to, because you were in charge and that's who they think should still be on top. The, the GOP today is part of a global siege against democracy. And, you know, the, the autocrats in Moscow have found the kleptocrats in Mar-a-Lago and the theocrats in Saudi Arabia and all of them are in league together. Just follow the, you know, Donald Trump's money trail. Saw Jared Kushner just came back from Saudi Arabia with $2 billion. Um, but, but all of these people are anti-Democrats using a small D there. They're opposed to democracy. And so is the right wing in America, which has never been on the side of democracy, except if they could get mob rule um, for racist purposes in the country. And that's the illiberal democracy that Orban is working on in Hungary, which they believe in. But outside of that, they're not interested in democracy. And in fact, when we talk about defending democracy, they say, we're not a democracy. We're a republic, which just means- Oh, it's their favorite thing to say. Yeah. Well, that's just <laughs> stupid. I mean, a republic is just a representative democracy. It means we don't meet Athenian style in popular assembly, but we elect- people as representatives. But if you look at the history of the 17 amendments we've added to the Bill of Rights since the beginning, all of them are democratizing amendments or the vast majority of them, you know, the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery, 14th Amendment equal protection due process, 15th Amendment banning race discrimination and voting, 17th Amendment shifting the mode of election of senators from the legislature to the people, 19th Amendment woman suffrage and on and on and on all the way up, you know, to the 26th Amendment, lowering the voting age to 18. The whole trajectory of our development is towards making it a more democratic country, but they're opposed to it. I mean, a lot of them want to go back to state legislatures picking senators and the populists and the progressives called those senators corporation senators because the corporations would go into the legislatures and spread money around and just bribe and then buy a U.S. senator. That a lot of them want to go back to that. A lot of them talk about the 19th Amendment and women's suffrage being wrong. Let's have the, <laughs> the women of America teach them a lesson um, in a few weeks about the power of the 19th Amendment. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, people forget all the time and they always they always say it in a way that I say it's not the sick burn you think it is like a republic. It comes from the Latin res publica, right, which is ruled by the people like it's it just means it's not a top down government. The public so, thing. The public yeah, thing. it's a republic thing. It's a public thing. And so people forget, you know, it's I, I'm, the analogy I always make if, if you're like, oh, that looks like a good sandwich. And someone's like, it's not a sandwich. It's a hoagie. And you're like, 
yeah, dude, that's a sandwich. Like you can be specific about the language, but we are, we're all talking about the same thing. A lot of us going back to one six, I mean, a lot of us originally saw one six as kind of the culmination of something, the end, the horrible finale, right? But now it's hard to not worry that it was simply the beginning of something worse. Well, all you have to do is read Donald Trump's final tweet at the end of the day where he told his heroes to go home. He said, you're beautiful. We love you. And this is not the end. This is just the beginning. He clearly saw it as the beginning. Remember this day forever. Yeah. He saw it as the beginning of a mass street fascist movement that would be there for him when every other corrupt trick fails. And the Republicans have learned, right? They've learned since that tweet, since that time, that now you can say, I'm never going to concede an election. I'm never going to accept defeat. If we lost, it's because you cheated. You know, they are out there making sure that they are, their people are counting the votes. Their people are watching the votes, that they're allowing votes, but they're only from their side. They, they think there's something clever about that. But any historian or political scientist will tell you that is just a hallmark of fascist political parties. I mean, the characteristics of fascist parties are a cult of authoritarian personality by a charismatic figure who dictates to everybody what to think, a refusal to accept the results of elections if they don't go their way, and then an embrace or refusal to disavow political violence as a mechanism for achieving political power. So every they were all mad at Joe Biden for saying that the MAGA party was quasi-fascist, but if the, the shoe quasi-fits, then you quasi-wear it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, the complete othering of people, the reference back to a greater time when everything was good and it was taken from us by these people and we can scapegoat them. And the reason your life isn't good is because of these people. It's all part of the fascist playbook. And we're seeing it play out over and over and over again. Oh boy, talking to you is exactly what I hoped it would be. Now let's just take a quick break to thank the people who made this episode possible. And we'll be right back after this with Congressman Jamie Raskin. You guys, I know it sounds crazy, but the holidays are coming. So I have to tell you about this amazing service called FrameBridge. FrameBridge makes it easier than ever to frame your favorite things without even leaving your house. Do you need a personal gift? Do you want to add a gallery wall to your home before your family party or spruce up your office? What are you even doing with all those photos on your phone? FrameBridge frames just about anything from art prints and posters to digital prints and 3D things like jerseys and blankets. Just go to framebridge.com and upload your image, or they will send you a package so you can safely mail in a physical piece. Once they have it, you can preview your item online with dozens of frame styles and layouts. Choose your favorite, or if that's too much pressure, get free recommendations from one of their designers. The experts at FrameBridge will then custom frame your item and deliver the finished piece right to your door, ready to hang. And instead of hundreds of dollars you pay at a framing store, FrameBridge prices start at $39 and all of their shipping is free. Plus, my listeners get an extra 15% off the order at framebridge.com when they use the code POLITICSGIRL. I've had a black and white fine art print behind my couch for two years because I can't find a good framing store anymore. I used metal and matte and I can't wait to see when it's done. I just have to find a wall to put it up on. So get started today by using framebridge.com and using the promo code politicsgirl to save an extra 15% off. That's framebridge.com promo code politicsgirl. Order for yourself or the perfect holiday gift. That's framebridge.com promo code politicsgirl. Seriously, you won't be disappointed. 
Denying the legitimacy of the 2020 election is no longer a fringe position in the Republican Party. I mean, there are people running for Secretary of State and AG and state legislatures who are all election deniers because it riles the base up and it works for them. You know, Democrats are the cheating enemy who stole the country from us and it's war. And in war, everything is acceptable. The American people are going to have to decide if we want election deniers to run elections. I mean, this is this is a profound problem, right? If you have some of these people that embrace the big lie and are willing to do whatever Donald Trump tells them to do, administering elections. But again, as you were pointing out originally, I mean, it's not a new problem. I and mean, we saw this back in 2000 in Florida with Bush versus Gore when Catherine Harris doubled as the chair of the Bush campaign in Florida and the secretary of state in charge of the election and made countless decisions that undermined uh, majority rule and the right of people to vote. So we need major progress moving forward on the right to vote. We've got to get rid of the voter suppression tactics. We've got to eliminate gerrymandering and move to independent redistricting commissions, which is a plank in the We the People Act, which we passed in the House, which got slaughtered in the Senate by another anti-democratic mechanism, the filibuster. So we're in this matrix of GOP democracy suppression, and we got to break out. And our best opportunity now is in the 2022 election on November 8th, if we could hold or expand our majority in the House, and we can pick up two new Democratic senators who will behave like Democratic senators, then we will be able to begin to break the cycle that we're in. I think sometimes it is these watershed moments. I mean, you mentioned Florida and people often forget about that election. I mean, Roger Stone was involved in that. Kavanaugh was involved in that. Amy Coney Barrett was involved in that. They were all down there working on that Florida election. And it's actually that election that made me decide I had to finally become a citizen. I lived in New York during 9-11 and I fell in love with the country and its patriotism and its passion. And I thought, I want to be a part of this country. But it was that election and what happened in Florida that made me decide I had to be a citizen and I couldn't possibly sit through one more election and not vote. So it's those watershed moments that change people's mindsets about how they look at their country, how much work they're going to put in, how much work democracy itself puts in and how involved they're going to be. I, I think these where, are essential where, uh, moments. Forgive me for asking, because where were you? Where were you born? I was born in Toronto. I see. So you're a Canadian. Well, I am. I am, and now I'm an American citizen. Well, that's great. Well, we're glad to have you and a lot of other great Canadian American citizens like Neil Young. Yeah. I love me some Neil Young. Um, but no, I think ultimately sometimes it takes outsiders to see how great something is. Sometimes when you're born within something, you think, oh, this is the way it's always been. This is how it's always going to be. Um, and sometimes outsiders can see things from a little bit different of perspective and say, hey, what you've got here is so great. Don't lose it. And well, it's like when, when Tom Paine came over in 1774 and he was amazed. His eyes were wide open about the problems in the country. He was an abolitionist. He was a feminist. He wanted women to have the right to vote. But he said that America was this amazement because it could become the first country on earth founded on the principle of the people governing. And he said it would become an asylum to humanity, not an insane asylum, mind you, but a, a place of refuge for people coming from countries where there was political and religious oppression. 
And he said that when America discovered itself as a democratic country, then the cause of America would become the cause of all mankind. So th that's the, the country I want to get back to, one where our commitment is to democracy and freedom and human rights, and the rest of the world understands that, not to, you know, autocracy and theocracy and, um, you know, people getting into office like Donald Trump who want to use the government as an instrument of self-enrichment. I mean, what an absolute betrayal of the constitutional design that is. I couldn't agree more. It's exactly why I do the work I do. Um, now, listen, a lot of important information came out in the last hearing, particularly even though they were given warnings well in advance of the dangers expected on 1-6, the FBI and the Secret Service didn't mobilize like they should have. And the military sent messages to the National Guard to reduce the likelihood of any response to the actual insurrection. Now, it is hard to hear that and watch footage of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer trying to get help to the Capitol to protect their colleagues and not feel betrayed. We now know there are members of Congress, secretaries of state, governors, big money donors, Republican state legislatures, and now federal law enforcement who are all in on this attempted coup. When you add in, you know, people like Ginny Thomas's involvement and how her husband is the only Supreme Court justice who voted not to allow your committee to see the Trump administration documents surrounding that day, it starts to feel like all three branches of government and almost every government agency was involved in this attempted overthrow overthrow of the government. And when you add in that the person leading the charge is still the leader of one of our major political parties, how would you recommend people function with this information? Because it's a lot for people who feel like they have no power to do anything themselves to help the situation. We feel a bit helpless, us regular people. Well, I don't think anybody should feel helpless um, because you know, the, the Democratic population of the United States is in a much better position to reclaim the, the Constitution and the democracy for ourselves than, for example, the women of Iran today or the people in Ukraine who are struggling against Putin and the people of Saudi Arabia or Turkey or Egypt. I mean, so nobody should be feeling helpless and nobody should be feeling hopeless. My, my dad used to say when we were growing up, when everything looks hopeless, you're the hope. So it just means each one of us needs to take action where we are in order to fortify elections and voting rights and empower democratic movements and democratic parties. And, you know, I got to say, speaking as a true blue Democrat, you know, whatever the flaws and imperfections of our party, and I know that there are many, we are the party of democracy today. That's it. The other one has gone over to the other side. And so that means that we need to design ourselves as a very big camp and allow lots of people in and invite people in. And we gotta be willing to work with anybody who's gonna stand up for democracy, including Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and Mitt Romney and other people who are willing to stand up for the basic constitutional design. And we can fight with them about tax rates and abortion <laughs> politics and stuff abortion like that. Abortion politics I mean, and the, yeah. Things that are essential Investment to, in public school. Yeah, things that we're fighting for. But in the bottom line, it, you know, the bottom line is they're not going along with the GOP becoming a cult of authoritarian personality that tries to steal elections. And so, you know, if you look at the history of coups and fascism, you, you can't find many cases of the liberal and progressive 
parties defeating fascism on their own. It's always a coalition between the center left and the center right working together to do it. And so we have to make sure that there's space for all of those people to work with us in upholding democracy. Whoever is willing to fight for democracy, they are part of the team. It really is a big tent. I've always said democracy is worth fighting for, but the Democrats' tent is humongous. And people always say, oh, we need more parties in this country. And I'm always like, no, we have more parties. They're just all under the Democratic umbrella. I want our friends who are Greens or you know people who would have voted for Ralph Nader to be part of the Democratic Party today. Ralph Nader is defending the Democratic Party today and coaching people on how to win these elections because he thinks it's so important. I want the libertarians to be on our side. It's very clear that the Democratic Party is a far more libertarian party than the party of the theocrats and the kleptocrats and the autocrats who you know, want to take away from every woman and every family their own rights to make decision about decisions about family planning and health care and so on. And we are the party that's pushing for liberalization of the marijuana laws and so on. That is an authoritarian theocratic party over there. So we want the libertarians, we want the greens, we want the independents to come our way because we're also the party of independent thinking and not having one person dictate to everybody else how they've got to think like a bunch of robots and religious cultists. I mean, I've told my colleagues over on the Republican side, when we get through this period in our history, and we will, they're going to be fit only for selling flowers and incense at Dulles Airport. I mean, they're going to be, <laughs> you know, sleeping in the basement, listening to tapes of Donald Trump before it's all over. <clears throat> oh, gosh, I, Jamie, that I like that, that the sound of that. Honestly, that sounds pretty good. Although it reminds me back of the old airplane movie and those Harry Krishnas at the airport. I don't know if you remember those scenes. They were hilarious. Yes, indeed. Well, the, the Hare Krishnas are, are harmless compared to the Trump cult. They certainly are. Now, the big bombshell at the end of your hearing, which wasn't really a bombshell, but only the appropriate next step, was that the committee would be formally subpoenaing Trump. Again, this really isn't shocking because it it's only shocking, I guess, because it's never been done before. But after listening to the case against him, the only fair and just thing to do is to give him a chance to set the record straight, to sit in front of the committee and to tell his truth, which is what every American citizen should have the right to do. But no one is actually expecting him to talk to you, right? Well, first of all, it's not unprecedented. I mean, there have been two presidents subpoenaed by Congress. John Tyler and John Quincy Adams were subpoenaed and they showed up. And there have been multiple other presidents who've come to testify about sure. lots of different things. So there's nothing really that unusual about it. The unusual thing is Donald Trump, who's like a one man crime wave, uh, who, <laughs> you know, none of his lawyers will ever allow to go under oath because they know he's a compulsive liar, as Ted Cruz once said. So, you know, he just adds perjury onto the other charges. On the other hand, he sent us a letter that very day repeating the big lie and saying that, you know, millions of Americans feel the way that he does, that the there was fraud in the election. I'm sorry, Mr. Snowflake, um, your feelings can't dictate the outcome of our elections. And more than 60 federal and state courts analyzed and rejected every claim they made of electoral fraud and corruption. And yet he still has feelings that he really won. Well, it reminds me of the old George Costanza from Seinfeld when he's like, if you believe it, it's not a lie, right? <laughs> well, yes. Uh, Which takes us back to the humor, finding humor. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson, the great scientist astronomer who was in my office uh, Last week, he came to visit, which was wonderful. He said that the great thing about science is it's true whether or not you believe it. And that's the great thing about facts generally. 
You know, we've got a fact-based political party, a reality-based political party, and then we've got a mass delusion and conspiracy theory-based party. Your hearings gave us more than any of us, I think, could possibly have expected. Much like the two impeachment cases, every element was expertly argued and beautifully crafted. And your case against Donald Trump was, as far as I'm concerned, ironclad. Could I say uh, something case... about that? You of know, course. I mean, Kevin McCarthy ultimately did us and the American people a favor by boycotting. Oh, did he ever? <laughs> yeah, I mean, by boycotting the committee, because we actually were able to have a functioning bipartisan committee that was interested in having real hearings where we got to the facts and we told a story. It doesn't mean we're all going to agree at the end about everything that we need to do, but that doesn't matter because we set the evidence forward. Imagine if we could have hearings like that about gun violence or about Jamie. climate change. I think this all the time. I keep saying, like, the Republicans did such a favor to the country by refusing to be part of finding out what happened that day. They could have had a 9-11 style commission. They could have had the exact amount of people. They could have had subpoena power, veto over subpoena power. It could have been done by December 2021. They were given everything that they were promised. They said, we want all of these things. And you guys said, fine, you can have all those things. And they were like, actually, we don't want to do it. And then you said, okay, we're going to go over the committee. Come on in and we'll do the committee. Send us some people. And they tried to put people like Jim Jordan and these people who were absolutely pro-insurrection on the committee that you guys had. And Nancy Pelosi was like, well, we're not going to take Jim and this guy. So give us three more people. No, we're taking, we're pulling all our people. All right, well then fine. But you ended up with a bipartisan committee with Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and the rest of you. And then we got to see what happens when government actually works. We have forgotten as the American people what it looks like because every time we see a committee or every time we see a Senate committee or we see a coming up with the Supreme Court watching what happened with Ketanji Brown Jackson. It's just a it's food just fight. A, it's a food fight, Jamie. It's a bunch of sound bites and how can I get on Fox and what is a woman and burn, burn, burn. And you forget that government is supposed to be stayed and serious. And even at the very end of your hearing, you said, I call for a subpoena for Donald Trump. And, and Liz Cheney said, let's take a vote. And you went through the very slow, meticulous way government is supposed to work. I, my name, I, this is how it's supposed to go. Quiet, meticulous, with the evidence. And this is what happens when government works. And people have forgotten that government can be efficient, government can get things done, and government can be someone we can look up to for doing their actual jobs. And you gave us a huge gift. And so did Kevin for just blowing it for himself, you gave us a huge gift watching government in action working the way it's supposed to work. Well, that's absolutely right. So I'm very hopeful that um, we will hold the House, hold the Senate, and we'll be able to make some changes in our process to allow for a lot more hearings like that about all of the problems facing the country. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, are you going to publish a 9-11 style report? Yeah, We're, we are working on a report that will be far more comprehensive and exhaustive. We were only able to put on a small part of all of the evidence that we found. And the focus was on telling the, the story of the political attack on the election and democracy. But there are a lot of other things that came out, like the the radical growth of domestic violent extremist groups and the way that they pose a threat, not just to the Capitol, but to the state legislatures and the school boards and to democratic participation across the country, like social media. And the fact that there were whistleblowers at Twitter begging the management to do something, saying there's going to be a bloodbath on January 6th. 
but them not acting. So there are a lot of other issues that come out of it that are closely connected, but ancillary to Trump's attack on the constitutional order. What would you like to see come out of the 1-6 committee? I mean, legislatively, of course, because the power for any criminal accountability is out of your hands. I am for sweeping, comprehensive recommendations on how to get American democracy moving again and how to fortify our institutions against coups and insurrections and electoral sabotage. So, um, you know, I mean, this will go on for a while. I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff in there from physical fortification of the Capitol um, so that Donald Trump's uh, henchmen are not able just to smash their way in and beat the hell out of our uh, officers, fortification of the personnel and the security, all the way to protecting the right to vote. I'm in a camp. I don't know how many of my uh, fellow committee members agree with me that the Electoral College has become not just a threat to democracy. It's given us five popular vote losers as president twice in this century alone. But it's also a physical threat now because the process is so convoluted that somebody like Donald Trump really can use every moment in the process to try to sabotage us and even to engage in violence. There's a claim out there that these private militias have some kind of standing under the Constitution, which is utterly absurd and is completely contrary to the text of the Constitution. The Constitution, even in the Second Amendment, which is what they cite, talks about a well-regulated militia, which means regulated by the government, not regulated by the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers. <laughs> um, so 50 states ban private armed militias as a threat to civil order and democracy. And I'd like to see us have federal legislation dealing with the same problem. So there's a lot that we need to do in order to set things right. And that's the way that legislative democracies, representative democracies work. Problems happen and we say, OK, there are weaknesses. Let's go out and repair them. I'd like to add to that. I would like to see some truth in broadcasting laws and some laws around what you can put on the Internet. I'd love to see more of that because I think we can't continue to live in two separate realities where people can lie to us and propaganda networks flourish for cash and destroy our democracy in the process. Well, and there, of course, the issue is maintaining everybody's First Amendment right to engage in speech and expression, but in places where the government has intervened with a big subsidy, as with the internet because of Section 230, to put in whatever safeguards and guardrails we can to prevent, you know, the Hutus and the Tutsis from happening. I mean, if we are on the precipice of imminent violence taking place, as these whistleblowers were saying, there's got to be some way for us to deal with that. Because under our First Amendment, the, the under the Brandenburg decision, there's no right to engage in incitement of imminent lawless action, uh, especially to topple the government itself. So there are some things that we can do. I mean, we can't just let the power of the big internet companies dictate to us our ability to defend American democratic institutions. I couldn't agree more. I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Jamie. I admire your work so much. 
If I was ever to be a public servant, I hope I would be one like you. I think you've made it quite plain coming out of these 1-6 hearings that this isn't just about cutting off the head of the snake, but defeating a hydra. You know, where one head is cut off, two more grow, and we have to get all of them at once. We have to defeat the entire beast. So we owe you and the committee a debt of gratitude, but no matter how great the work the committee did, no matter how clearly you prove that government can work and we saw it in action, the forces that dominate the Republican Party, the ones that allowed Donald Trump to come to power in the first place and continue to support the assault on our democracy, they have to be stopped. And ultimately, that comes down to us, the American voter. Well, thanks for what you do. And thank you for having me. And uh, hang tough for democracy. You're doing a great job. (laughs) Thank you so much. And thank you for still believing in American democracy, because we need you on our team. With all my heart. So that was Congressman Jamie Raskin, passionate fighter for democracy and American values. We have no idea what the Justice Department is going to do with the information his committee has given them. So we have to fight back against these anti-democratic forces with our actions in our communities and our votes at the ballot box. As political expert David Bender says, this is no longer a choice between right and left. It's a choice between right and wrong. Do we vote for or against democracy? For or against our own freedoms? And do we ultimately punish or reward those who attempted and continue to attempt to overthrow our government for their own retained power? If this election goes the right way, we will have the opportunity to make the changes to shore up our rights, our freedoms, and our vote. If it goes the wrong way, we will see what happens when propaganda and small-minded bullies with big ideas are allowed to run free. Apathy has no place in a functioning democracy. We have to have enough people willing to stand up for the truth. And we can't leave one vote on the table. I want to thank Congressman Raskin for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now, for God's sakes, go out and convince someone to vote for the Democrats. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.